I am on a mission to help organizations drive long-term success and results by implementing an unshakable transformation model. This model puts the employee at the center and works outward to support every aspect of the human experience in the workplace. Welcome to the Human Method Podcast. I am your host, Megan Bond, founder and CEO of the Bond Consulting Group. This podcast is designed to explore incredible guests as experts in a variety of professions and experiences to learn more about the tools that will transform an organization one person at a time. If you are seeking to improve yourself and how you live your life, or an organizational leader seeking to make a larger impact on your company through culture change, then this podcast is for you. If you are interested in learning more about personal or organizational transformation, I would love to connect with you. You can chat with me today at www.thebondconsultinggroup.com. Be sure to subscribe and get easy access to future episodes. Thank you and enjoy today's episode of The Human Method. Join me in welcoming our next guest. He is currently employed as a strategy development and execution consultant in the insurance industry, where he provides guidance and capability building to executive and senior leaders on the execution of key change initiatives. Prior to his current role, he was employed by various consulting firms, including Deloitte and Bearing Point, both global management and technology firms. In these roles, he was responsible for leading a wide range of consulting assignments focusing on change execution, culture integration, PMO, or project management office, startups, and development and merger and acquisition activities. He has over 20 years of experience assisting executives and leaders in the realization of large-scale transformational change efforts. He has completed advanced programs in Lean Six Sigma, Six Sigma Black Belt, and strategic project management from Villanova University. In addition, he completed executive leadership programs with Yale School of Management, Wharton School of Business, and advanced change management programs at Georgetown School of Management, as well as Cornell University. He is a Prosci certified change practitioner and advanced instructor, as well as a certified change management professional, established by the Association of Change Management Professionals. Please join me in a warm welcome to Chris Looney. Chris, it is so wonderful to have you on the show today. Yeah, Megan, thanks. Great to be here with you. Chris, I want to get right into this conversation because I have a lot to learn from you um, in our conversations prior to the show and in thorough review of your background. You have found that delicate blend of putting process and people and, and meeting them in the middle. Whereas I, I often, and a lot of what we talk about on this show is, is the human side of change, the human side of corporate culture. We talk very little about process and data, uh, but there is a place for that. And it's really, really hard to find that balance between people and process. So I want to start with hearing a little bit more about the work you do as a change leader and then the processes that you put in place to ensure success. Yeah, I mean, great question, Megan. I mean, my, my take on 
a lot of the work that I do, especially in the change space, is that I, I'm a firm believer, like my, my, one of my foundational elements is that organizations don't change, people change. And it really requires me to, you know, work closely with individuals at all levels of the organization from the CEO, um, senior leaders, all the way to frontline employees. And I think that's really critical to build you know, real key trusting relationships. Um, people have an understanding of really why you do what you do and why it's really important. Um, so again, I'm just, that, that's just a core tenant and a philosophy that I have in order for organizations to really get from where they're at today to where they ultimately need to be in the future. And change is a process. So it's kind of mixing kind of the human element with that kind of process that each individual goes through their own individual change journeys per se, and just being consciously aware that it is a process that we all have to go through and helping everybody in the organization to understand that what are the nuances of that, right? Not everybody moves at the same speed of change. You know, it's interesting, and, and you talked about how change is a process, but everyone has their own individual journey through that process. So how... How do you guide, especially with large organizations, how do you guide the individuals in their own individual journey through a change process? Yeah, I mean, it's always a challenge, especially the larger the organization and the larger the change. Um, it's always hard, and I think we never can kind of set the bar that we're going to get everybody on board or everybody committed, especially with large-scale transformative changes. Um, so we kind of have to set kind of a high watermark in terms of what our expectations are. A lot of my focus and attention, however, is that I, I feel that, that frontline leaders and supervisors play such a critical role mm -hmm. in helping employees through that change process. So my, my role is, is really focused on equipping frontline managers and mm -hmm. supervisors to make sure that they have an awareness and an understanding of not only what, are, what the change journeys that they're going through as a leader, but how could they then coach and lead their employees through that process as well. Um, and making them aware that it is okay that your staff may move at a different progression than perhaps where you're at. Um, and it's also okay that if we don't get everybody necessarily on board, mm. um, it's change is hard, change is difficult, change is challenging. And I think it gets all more critical that we spend the time and the attention with those leaders who are closest to the employees that are gonna have to go through the change to really understand those dynamics and to help coach their employees through that process. So my, my focus isn't necessarily, I will get involved in one-on-one -on -one kinds of coaching with frontline employees if needed, but the best person to really do that is the one that they are closest to, the one they trust the most, and more times than not, that should be their frontline manager or supervisor, not some outside person like myself who mm -hmm. is, you know, uh, you know, worked on a lot of change initiatives over the years, but I think they truly want to hear from their frontline manager and supervisor. That should be the individual that they trust the most. Yeah. What is your, or how do you work through a situation? Because I've seen that I've seen this many times with change execution, where the further you get up the leadership pyramid, and the further away a leader is from, to your point, the frontline managers, the teams, the individuals that are making the changes. Um, sometimes the harder it is for them to not understand or to understand why there might be a roadblock in the change process or yeah. why there might be a gap. 
And I've seen leaders get really stuck in those spaces rather than moving forward and continuing with the process or flexing to the scenario. Um, they get really stuck on, you know, one team or one group that isn't moving forward because it's not the quote unquote process. So how do you manage through or navigate through those waters? Yeah, I mean, I think as, as you go higher up in the organization, it's really hard to set the expectation that they know everything that's yeah. going on at the front line of the organization. And I think it's all the more critical that, that I'm a firm believer that leaders, the higher up you go in the organization, especially large transformative changes, those leaders need to sponsor that change for the next level down below them. Right. So, example, senior vice president, they need to sponsor the change for the vice presidents. Vice presidents need to sponsor the change for directors and so on and so on down through the organization. It's really challenging for the CEO of an organization to be kind of out on the floor every single day. Would love for that to happen. And it does happen on occasion, but they're not closest to the change and where the change is landing. Um, and again, I think it's really paramount for leaders to build that cascading network mm. of sponsorship down through the organization. So, you know, each leader is cascading accountability and commitment downwards throughout the organization. And it's also good, you know, I know there's a big push in, in, in the change space around change networks and, and all of those kinds of, um, you know, formalities in terms of listening posts and hearing what's going on in the front lines. I think those are all good. Mm -hmm. um, I, however, don't think they take the place of true leadership uh, down through the organization, which is very different from management, very different from running the day-to-day, -day, keeping the ship afloat, keeping the lights on. During change, we need leaders. We need people who are going to take people to places that they're not comfortable going um, and being very mindful of the fact that change is hard, change is difficult, and if everybody was great at change, everybody would be doing it, right? Mm -hmm. um, we just know that that's not the reality of today. What are some tools that you use to equip these various leaders with effectively rolling out change and sponsoring it in the appropriate way for their teams? I think a lot of it is just really simple messaging. I think we get so caught up in the lengthy PowerPoint decks and the consultant speak yes. um, and, and words that are said on the PowerPoint slide but are never truly <laughs> internalized. Um, I think it all goes, I'm a huge fan of storytelling. Um, I always coach leaders that I work with is, is you need to put the change in your context um, and be able to tell the story. Mm. Tell the story of why we are doing this. Why is this important? What are the consequences of not doing it? What is it going to be like out there? And it's okay if you don't have a perfect, pristine picture of the future state. Um, many times with transformation, as, as you know, Megan, we can't script everything. We can't have a um, the perfect, clear picture of what the future is going to look like. But I think that's all the more reason then that we have to, you know, equip leaders with those clear messages that the consequences of not changing are prohibitively high. We have to go on this journey um, and here are the consequences of not. And, you know, helping those leaders to be, you know, emotionally connected to their employees to understand, again, as we mentioned earlier, is that everybody goes through their own speed of change at a very different level. And to be mindful of the fact that they need to hear input. They need to hear from those individuals about what are their issues? What are the risks? What are the challenges? What are the roadblocks that are gonna get in the way from me moving from where we're at to where we're gonna be in the future, right? I'm a huge fan of, uh, you know, more of, um, you know, uh, 
you know, my, a, more dialogue as opposed to kind of announce and defend presentations that are done. And I know we've all seen those of the typical change launches of the one minute cha or one hour change launch. It's 55 minutes of slides, five minutes for Q&A, <laughs> and nobody has any questions, right? And we assume that everybody then gets it. Yes. And then leaders are surprised when they start seeing resistance. Yes. And I think that was a beautiful depiction of an example of the human side of process where you have a change management process, you have a way, a vision for how something may roll out, but instead of the lengthy PowerPoints, instead of these very strict um, layered experiences that people put themselves through to roll out change, you're saying step back, make it more human, have a conversation um, minimize the PowerPoint and keep it, keep the message simple and clear. I absolutely love that and couldn't agree more. And, you know, you also use the word emotion. You have to connect with the leaders on an emotional level. I think so often we understand concepts cognitively yeah. and it's easy to get caught up in the cognitive space, but it's not until we connect emotion to the work that we're able to really believe in it. And that's what we want to draw out of our teams and out of our people. So with that, I want to move into more of a conversation around methodologies such as Lean Six Sigma, which you're certified in, and um, you know all of these different really advantageous systems for, for driving results in organization. But I've noticed sometimes when people get into these methodologies, they become so consumed with the process that they lose sight of the human side. So for you and from your experience, how do you naturally train yourself to make space for the people-first culture within a process such as Lean Six Sigma? Yeah, and I think it's grounded in what I mentioned earlier is that organizations don't change. It's people that change. And, and you know, I'm, I, I'm a huge proponent. I love, I love the concepts of lean. The one aspect that's really um, critical to lean, however, is around people, right? I mean, some of the core tenets of lean are go see, ask why, and show respect. And all of that is really grounded on people. Um, you know, lean is a people system. And the firm belief of lean is that we can't improve an organization unless the people who actually do the work are actively involved and engaged in the improvement. And I'm a firm believer of more, more times than not, the best ideas for improvement come from the people, believe it or not, who are actually doing the work. Yeah, surprise. It's not from the, it's <laughs> not from the outside consultants. It's not from the internal Lean Six Sigma team. Um, it's the folks who are actually doing the work every day, right? The ones who are processing the work, answering the customer calls, completing applications, um, building systems, whatever those roles may be. They just need to be freed up of, um, you know, kind of the day-to-day -day handcuffs that get put on them so many times to just do your job. Yeah. And, and I'm a firm believer, again, that, that uh, you know, improving the job is the job. Mm. And we need to kind of instill that culture in our organizations. We don't want people to, you know, to kind of be renters on the organization chart. And by that, I mean, you know, they just come to work every day and they, they do good work um, and they collect their paycheck and their benefits or whatever else it is. But do they truly own their job? Right. And I think that's one of the challenges for leaders is to think about how do I turn all of my employees into owners versus renters? Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, you know, going back to this idea of process that, you know, I, I think about while a lean six might give 
tools for step-by-step implementation of a process while also focusing on people. Chris, I think you naturally have a gift and and plus your, your background, of course, has helped support this gift where you ask curious questions. You demonstrate active listening. You understand and you intrinsically comprehend the how do I connect with someone? How do I get the most out of someone? So with those deeper level soft skills tools, which I call essential skills, um, how would you or what would you advise to someone who understands the process piece and wants to bring in more of the people space, but they don't necessarily have that ability to know how to ask the right questions, um, even how to demonstrate active listening? What tools would you give to a leader in that space? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing is is you know to equip them with being really clear about why we're doing what we're doing right um again it's not about the tools it's not about the framework it's Mm. not about the methodology those are all great however i think you just need to sit down with individuals one-on-one or in small groups and tell the story about what this is intended to accomplish and why is it really important and what's going to get in the way for you personally for you professionally um, I think a lot of it comes back to, and again, I think it's more of a skill set you learn it over time. As more times than not, I, you know, I think we've all been part of of, of meetings where we feel like we're being um, um, there's a preconceived notion in terms of what the solution is, or we feel like we're applied, we're being applied a tool, tools being applied to us, mm-hmm. and and people are smart. They see they see through that, right? Um, and I think it's just it's being human. Right. It's just trying to connect with individuals on a personal level. Um, it's something that I strive to do every single day. I'm I'm trying to get better at it because, again, I'm such a firm believer that if you really want change to happen in an organization, it only happens through people. Mm-hmm. And if they don't trust you or they don't feel connected with you in some form or fashion, it's going to be really hard to kind of help them along that journey. Right. Yeah. They may they may go along with you, but I don't know if they will truly be committed to the journey yeah they may revert back or they may be just doing it because of a you know they want to be compliant with the change but aren't truly committed to it so again it's something is i think it's a skill set that's built over time but i always go back to it's the simon Sinek, right start with why why are we doing this why is this important if we're doing a, a lean project why are we doing this lean project if we're applying a lean tool why is this tool really important if we're applying a change framework why is this tool or why is this framework the most important and and give people an opportunity to respond and react to it because i think the only way anybody's going to get committed to anything is they have to understand it first mm-hmm. and the only way you understand it is by asking questions so you need to as a practitioner i'm really focused on on i want people to ask more questions i want to do more listening and less talk yeah and again i think you you definitely touched on that cognitive versus emotional piece and the difference between when people are are going along for the ride because they're renting versus they're emotionally connected and they're owning their space. Chris, there are some leaders who are simply not comfortable with the human side of leadership and they lean into their comfort level of data and numbers and standardized models and, and they avoid connecting because that is just not their space. What are your recommendations for how these leaders could shift their perspective without impairing their skill set um, that is really data driven? Yeah, I think that's great. I, I run into that quite frequently. Um, 
and I think it's really hard to change their their perspective, the way they view the world, their frame of reference. So so what can we do as kind of change professionals to kind of meet them where they're at? And what I always uh, you know like to do with those individuals who are more um, bottom line numbers oriented is is put the change in the context of those, the bottom line of the numbers. Um, there's a, an example of an initiative I was working on kind of in a past life, and um, it was an initiative that was expected to save roughly in the neighborhood of a million dollars a year. So the business cases were done, the PowerPoints were done, the kickoff meetings were done, and, and the net of that was a promise to the organization of a million dollar ROI. And had a conversation with the, the sponsor of that initiative, who is very financially driven, financially motivated. It was always ones and zeros. That's the way they kind of saw the world in dollars and cents. And you know, to help kind of put the change aspect, the people aspect, in the context, I asked this leader a really simple question. And the question was, you know, what percentage of this project success is dependent upon people changing the way they're going to have to do their work in the future? anywhere from 0% to 100%, just pick a number. And he looked at me and said, well, that's a really easy one, you know, 95%. This project would not be successful if 95% of the organization doesn't change the way they're gonna be doing the work. It's very people dependent. So then the next question was, okay, so you're expecting a million dollar ROI. So we could make an argument, we could have a discussion that roughly $950,000 of this ROI is dependent on changing the way people are going to do the work. And it was a really interesting conversation across the table from me and he could start to see the gears turning uh, in his head. And I think the light bulb kind of went off because I think at that point he started to realize, well, wait a second, right? This isn't about the system, right? Putting in a new IT system or information system this is really about people. And if we don't get people on board and committed to this change, I'm potentially risking, you know, $950,000 ROI because people won't get on board, people won't get committed. And then my next question was, well, what percentage of our project are you allocating to capturing that people dependent ROI? And that number is obviously very small, yeah. right? Meaning that we're not spending a lot of time we're not paying a lot of attention to it. We're spending more of our time, um, you know, preparing the solution for the organization as opposed to preparing the organization for the solution. And so you, the bottom line of all that, I think, Megan, is you just have to meet them where they're at. If their frame of reference is on, is on the financials, mm -hmm. you could put it in the financial context. I think it's really hard to kind of shift their thought process and say, well, hey, let me share with you all these different kinds of models about people checking out of the change and people re being resistant to it. That's not their world. That's not their frame of reference. And they probably won't pay much attention to it. You need to help them put it in the dollars and cents um, if that's what their frame of reference is. And it's so interesting. I'm asking different questions, but I feel like we keep coming back to these same core tenants the theme of asking good questions. So, you know, you shared earlier to to be more connected to your people, you have to learn to ask the right questions, help meet them where they're at. And this is the same exercise you practiced with a leader who was very data-driven. So I love that there's this theme um, and this continuation of being open, of asking open-ended questions and of listening. So the antithesis of that is, is a culture of fear where people don't yeah. feel comfortable asking, asking those questions and, and growing. Um, so I think often, too, we find that 
really process-oriented leaders either create, if they're not focused on the human side, can create a space of fear and or a space of where, again, I'm just going to use your language of renters, where people do their jobs, uh, but they're not exercising good judgment. They're not thinking outside of the box. They're, they're missing things that are, you know, critical to their ex- the expansion of their role because they're afraid yeah. to, to try something different. Um, so when we look at a culture of fear, I think that oftentimes psychologically it can be traced back to this attachment with the external, um, this focus on the process or the way we do things around here with the lack of let's go internal and look at personal development and growth. So what impact do you think this has on the people that are, are living, existing in this type of culture? Yeah, I think it's toxic, right? I think what happens in those kinds of organizations, everybody comes very protective of their space. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you start to see instances of where people, you know, hoard information, they don't collaborate. Um, there's passive resistance, perhaps. There's more conversations about the, the dynamics of the organization as opposed to what the organization is intended to co- be accomplished or mm-hmm. what, what are we trying to do, right? Yes. What's the strategy of the organization? So I think, you know, you're in that kind of an organization when you're hearing a lot more of those conversations about the internal dynamics, about how things actually get done as opposed to who we're trying to serve and what is our strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, when you have that kind of a culture, it, it is a, it, it's not going to produce the results that you need to produce over the long term. It might work in the short term. Um, I've worked in many organizations in the past where some of those cultures were more you know, geared towards just being compliant, right? Mm-hmm. As opposed to building deep organizational commitment in terms of what was truly important. And that works for a period of time. But I think you know what starts to happen is then the external factors start to come into play, right? The external market forces where it then requires a change in the culture of the organization. That happens over a longer period of time, unfortunately. Um, or it may happen where people just leave those organizations as well, right? So um, I think that's a huge, I think it's a huge blind spot too, I think for a lot of leaders. They just kind of disconnect themselves from the culture of the organization, right? Or they have one perception of the culture, which is very different what the way it truly is. It's mm-hmm. not what we have, you know, on the, on the poster in the lobby. Yeah. You know, when you come into the building, right, that's not what it is. It's really those intrinsic motivators, the behaviors, the mindsets that people have. And if it's a culture of fear, it's, um, you know, as I said, it's very toxic. It's something that just can't be sustained over the long term. Yeah. And I've also seen it where it's on a larger scale where companies have this culture of layoffs or they have this culture of um, replacing leaders. And there, there's a lot of short-term roles that are fulfilled and, and people move on or move out. Um, right. And I've also seen it in the space where there's this culture of fear and distrust within the organization. So you have pockets of teams that are simply, to your point, hoarding information, very distrustful. And then a brand new leader could step into their that role wanting to do all of the right things mm-hmm. but find themselves in this very challenging space. So... How would you advise that person? Yeah, I think it goes back to, um, you know, as a leader, if you're really trying to change the culture of an organization, you need to go in there with kind of eyes wide open. And I'm never a fan of changing culture for the sake of changing culture. 
there, there always should be within a broader context. We're, we need to change the culture because the results that we're achieving today um, aren't the results that we need to achieve in the future. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the hindrances to that is our culture. Um, then I'm all for, hey, look, we need to get after this culture you know, change. Um, and all too often, I think we hear organizations say, well, we're going through a cultural change. Well, why? Mm-hmm. Right? What is, what is the driving force behind that? Um, and, and hopefully it's based on the point of the results that we need to achieve. We're just not getting there. And the only way to do it is by changing the culture. I'm a firm believer that leaders have a lot of levers to change the culture. Um, we always hear the stories of changing cultures hard, and, and I firmly believe it is. I know there's enough research to say, you know, five to seven years to change a culture. Um, however, I think it could be done a little bit sooner. And I think it, it, I think leaders don't give themselves perhaps enough credit mm-hmm. to realize that just by creating the experiences um, of what they want the future culture to look like um, and, and, and shaping the environment of the organization, that will help to change mindsets and behaviors. But it's creating those experiences. What do you want the organization to look like? But then you as a, as a leader have to not only communicate it, but you have to more importantly model it and you have to reinforce it. I think what happens more too often is, is we get so focused on just communicating the culture change or communicating the vision mm-hmm. of what we want the future culture to look like. And that's fine, but I think that's 10% of the equation. The other, you know, 80, 90% of it comes down to the point of leaders have to really model it and they have to reinforce it. And I don't think enough attention is spent on that. I think it's because the easy solution is, well, I could just communicate it. And the hard work is the modeling and the reinforcing it. And um, it's it's full contact sport. You want to change the culture of an organization, roll up your sleeves and get on the playing field. You can't Mm -hmm. do it from the sideline. That's really interesting. And one of the things that we talked about in actually the last podcast we aired with Tiffany Castaño was, um, you know, as much as we want to change culture, people need to own their their experience as well. So it it falls just on as on the individual or the leader, the single leader, just as much as it falls on the entire organization to meet in the middle and figure out the next step. So I, I love this idea of someone is empowered to come in and create moments, create shared experiences of, of change that they envision to ultimately have a ripple effect amongst their team and throughout the organization. So I think it goes back to this idea of empowerment and knowing that we can make that change. We can start that change. Absolutely. I mean, real quick, I mean, real quick story. So getting back to the point around culture. So I worked in an organization previously where the executive leader wanted to create a culture of more candor, more transparency as related to a lot of initiatives that were going on. The tendency was every time a project gets rolled out, I get the status report and everything is green. So as we all know, green is camouflage, right? (laughs) And, um, but that was the mindset. The mindset was always only bring this individual green. Mm -hmm. Um, And um, that was something that this leader was trying to change. Wanted to create, um, you know, hear more candor. He knew at the time that projects were, you know, either over budget, behind schedule, whatever it might be. But again, everything was still green. And, you know, my conversation with him at the time was, well, well, what experiences can you create in order to start getting, you know, red, you know, and make it comfortable for the teams to start reporting red, right? Creating almost like a red is good culture. Not saying we want red, but we Mm -hmm. want people to report red and feel comfortable doing that. Um, And 
you know, it just got back to the point of where the levers that leaders have. And I said, well, the next time there's a status meeting, right, what you can do is, you know, just declare it and saying, hey, guys, I know we have risks. I know we have issues. I want right now, I want us to talk about what are the top three red items that we have on this particular project. I know the status report here says everything is green. Let's have a candid conversation, right? We all know that there are some things in here that we need to get after. What are those things? And for everybody then to experience that in the room and saying, wait a second, who are you? This is very different. Where well, We have a different perspective of, of what you're now expecting. That really changed the tone and tenor of all those future status reports because now it was like, hey, it's okay if we are to bring risks, if we're to bring issues. And he was really clear though as well, as he said, I don't wanna be surprised, right? So mm -hmm. if there are issues, if there are risks, just do it early. Right, make me aware of those things on an early basis so we have time to respond to them. And just those simple things over a period of time significantly changed the culture just as it relates to how they were reporting status on projects. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a simple change to make. So again, I think it goes back to what I mentioned earlier, leaders, I think, don't give themselves enough credit of the levers that they have that they could pull just by changing some experiences and how those experiences shape you know, the, the beliefs, the mindsets, and then ultimately the results, right? The reason why we changed the culture is because we want to change the results. And this was a prime example of just by making that little tweak, that little nudge was able to make profound result changes in just how they manage projects. Yeah. And in speaking of results, Chris, what are some ways that we can measure this work, this culture change work? I mean, I think... I always like, I mean, I like to use the model of, you know, where experiences drive behaviors, drive, um, drive actions, and then produce results. So, you know, my perspective on it would be that the measure of culture change is we're getting different and better results, right? So that should really be the only reason why we're needing to change the culture is because the results that we're getting today aren't, aren't, aren't acceptable. And the only lever that we can pull is by changing the culture. So um, I look for that as being the real core indicator that we've made shifts to the culture because the results have gotten better. I mean, it's as, it's as simple as that. Now, I, one kind of follow-up question to that. If you're, say you're the CEO of a company, you're, you're in a very senior level role, you have multiple teams and leaders reporting up through you, and again, something I've seen, and I'm sure you've seen in your tenure, um, teams, certain teams do make those changes. So you have certain teams throughout a company that are really rich in culture and employees are so excited to come to work. And then you have other teams that are super toxic and disengaged. What's the, how could a leader from really high up kind of get in the weeds for a moment to understand what teams are really creating culture and which teams are are not i mean i think it gets back to again the conversations right so um you know i'm a, a, going back to some of the 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 tenants of lean right we always say go see right go and see where the work is actually being done and where mm -hmm. it's being performed so you know, I would encourage any senior leader who's trying to uncover or unpack the different dynamics of culture in the organization is to go and see it, go and observe it, go and talk to individuals, walk the floors. I mean, we see that happen now in a lot of hospitals where you have the CEOs of hospitals walking floors, talking to nurses, talking to physicians, 
talking to anybody who basically is doing work on the floors. So I think what's really key is to is to be present, be vis be visible, go and talk to individuals. Um, but I think also, you know, when you have parts of the organization where you're seeing advances in the culture and other parts where they are not. Um, I'm a huge fan of kind of the internal com competitiveness as well. I think we all have a little bit of a competitive spirit. And I think it comes back to just the honest conversations that leaders need to have with one another and saying, hey, look, at, I'm seeing you know, great progress and improvements in Andy's organization, but in Becky's organization, perhaps not so much. And, and why is that occurring? And, and you know, creating, facilitating conversations from where they can learn from each other, right? How do we create that kind of learning organization to continue to grow? And I would see myself or whoever that leader is that I'm coaching as being kind of that conduit mm -hmm. for the learning. Now, you know, I always love to start off with education first, and I always encourage leaders to, to start with education, right? Create the situation of where you have leaders who are gonna talk to each other understand the nuances of why one organization is further ahead than perhaps another um, and hopefully that remedies the situation they're just not aware of it so we've created the situation and made them cognizant of of that situation if that doesn't change and we don't see any significant improvements in the culture of the organization then you kind of ratchet up the consequences, mm -hmm. right? Which is unfortunate, but it has to happen at times where if there is a leader who is kind of toxic to the organization, you know, you, you move them in another part of the organization or you move them out of the organization. Um, and then the last option is you could choose to do nothing. And um, that's kind of a prepare to fail. Yeah. And um, especially if you have parts of the organization that are not taking hold to the new culture, you're making a choice as a leader. You're making mm -hmm. a choice if you're not gonna do anything and you're preparing the organization to fail mm. for that change in that particular part of the organization. And is that acceptable, right? That's the conversations that, you know, you need to have with, with your leader or if I were the leader that I would need to be thinking conversations with myself, Yeah. right? Is, is, is doing nothing acceptable because doing nothing is gonna result in a failure for this change in this part of the organization. Mm -hmm. And those, mm. are the tough, those are the tough calls that leaders have to make getting back to again it's full contact sports yeah. right well and i can only imagine that if you have certain teams that are working really hard to drive change and they're finding success but you have others that are bringing the change backward if you choose to do nothing as a leader how frustrated are your engaged teams going to fail i mean you are ultimately depleting the whole of that culture and um not just accepting a lower than, than expected standard, but across the board, you're, you're shifting that standard down. You are, and, 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 that's, and now you're sending a message, right? Mm -hmm. You're creating an, exper an, an experience, right? Yeah. By doing nothing, you've created an experience that, hey, you know what? Uh, Chris isn't really serious about this change because he's not holding this part of the organization um, to the same standard that yeah. he's holding my part of the organization. So this maybe is not as important. So the doing nothing is an experience that that leader's creating and, and is shaping the culture. Mm -hmm. And they may not even be aware that they're doing it. Yeah. It almost sounds like listening to you that, that if an organization receives some type of an engagement score on an annual or quarterly basis, that mm -hmm. leaders should be able to essentially predict what the engagement score outcome is going to be because they are that connected and that in tune with what's going on in their company. They do, and they have a clear roadmap of, um, I think they get so caught up many times, I've seen a lot of organizations where they get too caught up on the number, right? Yeah. Here's what my score is, 
or hey, I made an improvement. My one of my favorite questions to ask a leader is, you know, they made an improvement. We went from a, you know, hypothetically, a, you know, a, a, a from a six to a seven, and everybody feels great about it. And I always say, how, what did you do to go from a six to a seven? And just to see what their <laughs> answers are, because more times than not, they're like, I have no clue. Yeah. I don't know what we did. Right? Magic happened. Yeah. Um, and then they go through the whole grind of laying out a whole bunch of action plans and things for the yes. next iteration, right? So, um, and we're, they're chasing the number. Yes. Yeah. Right. Chasing the number. That's good. Chasing the number. I, I think I, I want to end on that with, with one final question. Yeah. Chris, if you could remove one roadblock that corporate America faces that to positively impact employee engagement, what would it be? Um, one of my favorite quotes, and I don't know who said it, is stop starting and start finishing. And by that, I mean we take on too much work. We saturate the organization with too much change. We overwhelm the organization. Um, and it creates a situation of where I think employees feel that they're just kind of treading water. And we, what that then leads to is heightened levels of employee resistance, obviously, to change. It leads to higher levels of employee disengagement. It leads to less promises being delivered by change. We install changes as opposed to then realize them. And I think a lot of it, again, goes back to the, the oversaturation of change in organizations. And I get it, right? We're living in a, in a time and a place where the amount of change we've seen is like nothing we've ever seen before. However, our brains are evolving as well. Um, and they may not necessarily be keeping pace with the same speed of change as the environment around us. And um, we only have a finite capacity to absorb so much change right and again mentioning it earlier organizations don't change it's individuals within organizations that change and if we feel that um you know kind of our, our brain you know, hardware um and we push it over capacity right mm -hmm. things start to go wrong in organizations and we start to under deliver under commit people leave organizations we see increases in stress and, and all of those other you know other those other results that kind of lead to a lot of negative consequences so you know the bottom line of all that is is, is just be more mindful about what's truly important what are the strategic objectives we truly need to achieve get after those imperatives and, and there's more than enough good ideas out there you can't chase after every single good idea mm -hmm. that comes down the road right Excellent. Chris, thank you so much. I learned so much from our conversation, as I always do, and yeah, really appreciate you being with us today. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Human Method Podcast. I am Megan Bond, and if you are interested in learning more about personal or organizational transformation, I would love to connect with you. You can reach me today at www.thebondconsultinggroup.com. I also want to thank Ayla Zimmerman for design and promotion of not just the human method, but our Bond Consulting Group site as well. She is a kick-ass designer, so please check out our site at thebondconsultinggroup.com. Sign up for our newsletter so that you can receive great content from us. Be sure to subscribe so that you don't miss our next episode. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. Our theme for the show, as always, is to be a little bit better each day. So remember, be better today.